Oh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Trin Boys, you are listening live here to the Brandon World Podcast on this Monday, October 18, 2021. I do apologize if I do not sound as energetic as usual today. I'm still getting over this cold a little bit. But, folks, we had a great weekend in sports. Of course, in baseball, we had the Atlanta Braves go up 2 on the Dodgers in the NLCS. We have the Red Sox and the Astros tied at 1-1 in the American League cheating series. Of course, the NBA season starts tomorrow. Big time, if you want to hear my NBA predictions going into the 2021-2022 NBA season, make sure to check out the podcast from last Thursday. As well as this upcoming Thursday, of course, we have the WWE Crown Jewel pay-per-view, a WrestleMania-like card. We will be previewing that on Thursday, as well as the NFL in Week 7. And I will be making my predictions and best bets where I hope at that point I will remain undefeated. Because yes, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, shouldn't have ages, for the first time ever in my life, not only did I go 5 for 5 in my best bets, now that happened once this season, but for the first time in my life, I have been undefeated going into a Monday night football matchup when it comes to picking games straight up head-to-head. And the weirdest thing was, as I said on the podcast on Thursday, I did not feel good on Thursday. I did not feel good recording the podcast. I did not feel good making my picks. I did not feel good making my best bets. I thought the lines were the worst that they were all season, and it turned out Well, Vegas was right on favoring a lot of road teams. Nine out of the 14 games, uh, you know, of week six of the National Football League season, the road team is favored. And so they were right on that. And I was running my picks. And that's, you know, really all I have to say about that. Um, And before we start, you know, getting into week six of the National Football League, I do have a quick announcement I want to make. And that announcement is I have joined Believe Land Media. Now, Believe Land Media is a new, a brand new startup media company. It is remotely based, but it's focused on the Cleveland sports teams, as well as uh, Ohio Championship Wrestling, OCW. But they will cover, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Cleveland Browns, and the Cleveland Guardians. As of right now, me and my co-host, Joey Snyder, are going to be getting a new podcast called All Things Cavaliers on there, talking all things Cavs. I'll let you know when that drops. Uh, our first recording for that is going to be on Wednesday. So I'm really excited to begin this new journey. Talk Cleveland Cowboys basketball with Joey. And, you know, there's a lot of things with the Cavs that need to be discussed because the Cavs are a very interesting NBA team. But that's not the ear nor there. But I did just want to make that announcement that, yes, I have joined Believe Land Media. No, I will not be getting rid of this podcast Yes, this podcast will still be posted every Monday and every Thursday on Anchor, Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Lewis underscore seven. Make sure to follow the show at Real underscore B World. Uh, and I know that y'all want to hear my thoughts on the Cleveland Browns getting absolutely annihilated by the Arizona Cardinals. But before we get there, Let's get into it. Let's recap week six in the National Football Week. And of course, where else do we start but Thursday Night Football? 
Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defeating my Philadelphia Eagles 28-22. The Eagles get a backdoor cover at the end. I said, and I predicted this on Thursday night, I thought there was a chance Tampa Bay would cover. I thought Tampa Bay would win by 7 with a late touchdown. But I thought the game was going to be closer than, you know, everybody thought. Even though, to be honest with you, this game wasn't even close. Uh, Tampa Bay, you know, really dominated, in my opinion, most of the game. My Eagles pass rush, especially early on, could not get after Tom Brady at all. I thought that was one of the big keys to the Eagles pulling an upset, which Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave having a big game. They really did not. Uh, I didn't understand why Tampa Bay didn't run the football more. Leonard Fournette had a great night rushing. He had, what, over 120, over 130 rushing yards. And I thought Tampa Bay could have ran for 200 if they wanted to. Obviously, Antonio Brown had a great night. And the Eagles' first-half offense really could only get moved by pass interference penalties. Uh, and this is now, you know, the second time in three games here. You know, week four, we played Kansas City. You know, uh, week six, obviously, playing Tampa Bay. Week five at Carolina. It was a very good football team. They're at least, in my opinion, somewhat better than the Eagles in some areas. Uh, this is the second strike game where Nick Sirianni's offense in the first half has really struggled to sustain any drive. It's a lot of predictability. It's a lot of run-pass option. It's about 80% run-pass option. And most of those aren't even runs. They're mostly passes. Obviously, they're crashing down on running back Miles Sanders and them being the defense. Jalen Hurts delivering it out on a bubble screen, either Quez Watkins or Jalen Rager. Uh, and then, you know, on third and nine, third and eight, third and seven, Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen and this offense is asking Jalen Hurts to throw the football down the field. And it's really sad. It's really frustrating. And it really ticks me off as an Eagles fan right now watching this offense. Because I feel like that Jalen Hurts right now is in the wrong system. Uh, he's running a lot of college stuff. He's not, you know, using the run game. He's not going under center. He's not using play action. It's a lot of, as I said, RPO, RPO, RPO. And it's not just, you know, an RPO slant, an RPO bubble, you know, an RPO screen. It is literally all RPO bubble screen, RPO bubble screen, RPO bubble screen. It's very, very predictable. And at the end of the game, you know, Jalen Hurts finally decided to hand the ball off to Miles Sanders, and he got his season high in rushing yards, which is barely over 50. Um, and if that doesn't tell you the state of the Eagles offense, I don't know what does. Uh, I will say week one against Atlanta presented so much promise for this offense. And ever since, you know, Kansas City, they moved the ball a little bit. Obviously, Carolina, they pulled it out at the end. But this offense, you know, and now Zach Ertz is obviously going to Arizona. Like, this offense is pedestrian. They're too predictable, and something has to change. I don't know, you know, if it's Nick Sirianni's play calling, if it's just the personnel. I thought the offensive line at times looked overwhelmed against Tampa Bay's pass rush. So this Eagles team right now does not look great. I think the good news for them is, as I've said, our last five games are all in the division. You still got to play the Jets. You still got to play Denver. You still got to play the Giants twice. You still got to play Washington twice. You know, those six games right there I mentioned are, are all winnable games. 
I even think this game against Vegas here is a winnable game. So let's say the Eagles win all of those games. You know, they're at 8-9 wins potentially. I thought 7 was realistic going into the season. I thought the first half, if the Eagles got out of it 3-5, and five, it would be a miracle. At this point, if they beat the Lions in Week 8, even if they lose to Vegas, they'd be at 3-5. and five. So, you know, results aren't what I wanted in terms of production, but in terms of wins and losses, they're right where I expected them to be. You know, Tampa Bay, they usually are like Kansas City. They usually do not cover. Sometimes they come out flat, especially on Thursday night. But you know they're going to be there at the end of the year because they have to. I'm um, Edward Patrick Brady Jr. All right, next game here. We got the Dolphins at the Jags. Now, this game is in London, but obviously Jacksonville was the home team. Um, you know, I picked the Jaguars here to get their first win and possibly their only win of the season here, and I thought it would come overseas strictly because I thought that Trevor Lawrence would play better than Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, Miami, we know they didn't have their top three wide receivers outside of Jalen Waddle. Jacksonville's defense is still bad. A great heroic pass by Trevor Lawrence, a slant pass over the middle to set up Matthew Wright for the game-winning field goal, a great moment for the Jaguars franchise. But I do want to spend a little bit of time here talking about Miami because, you know, I said last year I would not draft Uatekavailoa, not just because of his injuries. I just didn't think he could play in the National Football League. I watched him at Alabama. I didn't think he was an NFL quarterback. I think his arm is average at best. I don't think he has good timing. I think he's going to get it a lot, and I do think he's a little bit fragile, and that concerns me. Yesterday, I thought he played his best game as a pro, and that wasn't saying much because I thought he was average, and the Dolphins lost to a team they should beat in the Jaguars. I give Miami's top two, top two starting cornerbacks, and Byron Jones and Xavier Howard were out, but this Dolphins team reminds me a lot of the New York Giants. You, you know how last year we were saying how the Giants and Dolphins were taking steps in the right direction. They were almost babysitting their quarterback. They were winning with defense and special teams and good coaching. And this year it's just not happening. Strictly because Tua Tagovailoa is a downgrade at almost every single you know quarterback position for the Dolphins. They really should have lost to New England in week one if it wasn't for that fumble by Damian Harris. At this point, I would even take Mac Jones, who is making more throws down the field than Tua Tagovailoa. And Miami, you know, has a huge problem. Uh, I believe that Houston... I uh, did give them their first-round pick this year. That's why the Dolphins gave up their first-round pick to my Philadelphia Eagles. But the quarterback class was so rich last year. You know, you add Trey Lance. You add Mac Jones. Uh, you add Justin Fields, you know, potentially on the board. After, you know, obviously Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson go number one and number two. And the Dolphins decide to take, you know, to not... You know, I believe they had the third pick, right? And they traded back with San Francisco, and they ended up in the number five spot. Uh, the Dolphins decided to not take a quarterback and give Tua Tagovailoa another weapon in Jalen Waddle. And I said that that that, that was a mistake. Uh, I would have taken another quarterback. Now, I would have taken Trey Lance because I believe he has the highest ceiling. But Miami is stuck, much like the Giants with Daniel Jones. Tua Tagovailoa is nothing special when you could see it in him after his first couple starts. And, you know, as much as I bag on Jalen Hurts, I don't know if he's the future yet of the Philadelphia Eagles. I can't really evaluate him uh, because the team is so bad. Miami has a good team, right? They they have a good defense. 
you know, their opponents aren't that tough. They did go 10-6 last year, but Tua isn't getting it done. It was mostly Ryan Fitzpatrick getting it done, and when Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing better than Tua Tagovailoa, to me, that told you all you needed to know, and again, I think for this season, I think Miami made a huge mistake, and I think practically they're screwed. Next game here, the Colts. Now, I was a little bit worried about this number at halftime because it was minus 10. Now, I did not bet this game. Uh, but Carson Wentz played well. The Colts looked good. The Colts got back on track. Now, next Sunday night, they go to San Francisco to take on the Niners, a team coming off a bye, and he coming to the West Coast. That does worry me a little bit, but it looks like Jonathan Taylor and that run game is starting to eat up. You know, it does look like that Carson Wentz starting to get his feet back underneath him in Indianapolis with Frank Reich and that Colts offense. They did just get back T.Y. Oton, so the Colts look like a team on the rise. You know, much like the Eagles, I feel like their schedule is a lot harder than late. I think the Colts are going to get on a roll here in the second half of the season. They still have to play Jacksonville twice. They play Houston again. They play Tennessee at home, which I think all healthy. The Colts have a good shot to win that ball game. So, you know, with the AFC, you know, with Pittsburgh being a little bit down, with the Browns being a little bit down right now, um, you know, Vegas potentially being down after the fallout of John Gruden. I think the Colts do have an opportunity here to get into the postseason, even if they do lose to the Niners next Sunday. Moving on to a game that I did make in my best bets, the Rams just clobbered the Giants. You know, I'm not going to spend too much time on here because the Rams are good. Let's face it, the Giants are bad. I told you this going into the season. The Giants were a bad football team. Uh, I predicted them to finish last in the NFC East. I'm sticking to that. They have the worst quarterback in the division. I would take Taylor Heineke over Daniel Jones right now. And when you have the worst quarterback in your division, you know, you know, you look at the Dolphins and the Jets right now. It's pretty close between Zach Wilson and Tua Tagovailoa. In the AFC West, I would take Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke. AFC North, I think it will be Ben Rockwisper. AFC South, it's Davis Mills. NFC East, Daniel Jones. NFC West, Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, NFC North, Jared Goff. You know, uh, NFC South, you, you know, you're going to have to debate between Sam Darnold and Matt Ryan. But most of those teams, you know, the six, seven, eight, nine teams I mentioned there, uh, are going to be either right now in last place or they're going to finish last in their division. And that's just facts. And the Giants are a bad football team. They, again, like the Dolphins last year, lost all momentum. And I would not be surprised if Joe Judge gets the axe at the end of the year. Okay, so Washington played a good first half against Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes looked vulnerable. Tyreek Hill was dropping passes. The Chiefs offense was not in sync. Washington played a very good game. But again, in the second half, the Chiefs, they just came out. Tyree Kill caught seven passes. Travis Kelsey was dynamic. <coughs> Excuse me. Patrick Mahomes did Patrick Mahomes things. Uh, and the Chiefs got the victory 31-13. What I will say about Washington is, again, they thought they had a good defense. This old-school Ron Rivera defensive mind where, you know, we don't need a stellar quarterback. We can just run the ball and play good defense because our defense was so good last year. And this year, Washington secondary cannot really cover a pillowcase. Uh, and Taylor Heineke is not a franchise quarterback. I'm sorry, he's just not. Uh, I was not sold on him. Yes, he played well against Tampa Bay, but you guys know my no-tape theory 
It's when you're in your first start in the National Football League, you're going to play well, even your first couple of starts, because nobody has any tape on you. Once people start getting tape on you, and once people start to realize that, you know, Ricky Seals-Jones, besides Terry McLaurin, is really your only weapons on offense, you can't count on throwing it out to Anthony Gibson and J.D. McKissick all game long. This Washington team is pretty easy to cover. They're not that great of a football team. I said it going into the year. I thought the Eagles potentially could be the second best team in the division. Behind a clear leading front running Dallas Cowboys team with Washington in third and the Giants fourth. And so far I've been right on my division. Okay, another blowout here. Between the Ravens and the Chargers. Now, I thought Baltimore was going to be able to run the ball down the Chargers' throat. It's why, in my best bets, I picked Baltimore to cover the 2.5. I did not expect this. Uh, and this should be very scary for Browns fans. Because the Browns gave up 47 points to the Chargers. They couldn't really stop them. And the Ravens' defense rattled Justin Herbert yesterday. They made him look like a regular second-year quarterback, not a special. You know, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Carson Wentz, 2017, year two quarterback. Justin Herbert looked, again, normal. He looked human. Uh, Austin Eckler only had eight carries for seven yards. The Chargers did not run the ball. They could not contain Lamar Jackson. It was a far cry from the playoff game. The Chargers won a couple years ago when everybody thought they figured out uh, the Ravens quarterback. And listen, as much as people, you know, want to bang on Lamar Jackson and say that he can't throw, you know, he can't do this, he can't do that. All I see is playmaking. I see a guy that wins. I see a team that runs the ball. I see special. And right now, I think the Ravens are miles better than the Browns. The Browns are one-dimensional, right? They run the football. I saw Baltimore come back against Kansas City, and I saw Baltimore dominate the Chargers. The Browns right now are 0-2 against those teams. That should be very concerning. And now the Ravens play Cincinnati, who, by the way, just we'll talk about this game real quick. They beat up on the Detroit Lions. I know me and Pat McAfee and everybody else in the world, we love MCDC Dan Campbell. But I said on the podcast Thursday, I was concerned about the Lions secondary. The Lions secondary is not good at all. They're bottom three in the National Football League. I was concerned about their ability to cover T. Higgins, to cover Tyler Boyd, to cover the great rookie out of LSU, Jamar Chase. They cannot do so. Joe Mixon had a good game. Evans out of the backfield. The pass catching running back for the Bengals had a good game. The Bengals dominate. They win the game 34-11. to And now that sets up a Bengals and Ravens matchup in Week 7, which is a very interesting matchup. Because the winner of this game is going to be in first place in the AFC North. And if the Bengals feel like that they are for real, and by the way, right now it does feel like they're for real, and I think playing Green Bay close last week gave them a lot of confidence. And Joe Burrow, the second-year quarterback, remember what I said going into this year. I thought Cincinnati would be an improved team at six or seven wins. My caveat, though, was they could be at three or four wins if Joe Burrow's ACL was not healthy. We heard all the reports of training camp of not only Jamar Chase dropping passes, but Joe Burrow not looking in sync at all. 
and that has not looked like the case. You know, maybe Joe struggled in the first half, week one against Minnesota. Since then, he's been lights out. That's why I've always said, take preseason and training camp with a grain of salt. We have to see how these guys look in the regular season. And Cincinnati's defense, you know, with all the additions they made in the back end, as well as Trey Anderson up front, the former defensive lineman of the New Orleans Saints, they're getting a pass rush, they're getting their hands on the football, and they are starting to believe in each other and believe in Zach Taylor's message as head coach. Folks, at this point, the Browns, as I've been saying all season long, they have the third best quarterback in the division. Cincinnati is second. Joe Burrow, I think, is a tick right now behind Lamar Jackson, even though I love Joe Burrow. I think Lamar Jackson just went out to win games, and he's special. And at some point, you have to admit it, and the AFC North rivals, the Ravens and Bengals, looked impressive yesterday. Packers-Bears. Now, this game, Green Bay uh, is a very interesting team this year. Because they are 5-1, and one, and after getting blown out in the opener against the Saints down in Jacksonville, we know Aaron always struggles in Jacksonville. They have won five straight games. But they got outplayed by the Lions in Week 2 in the first half. You know, dating back to Week 5 against Cincinnati, they did not play well. You know, they got away with a victory, but they flat out did not play well. You know, Week 4 against Pittsburgh, to me, was their most complete game they played all season long. And the question's going to be for the Packers is, you know, that game against the Bears yesterday, that was not competitive. That was a really boring game. Matt Nagy really struggled. The Bears' offense looks pathetic. Uh, Justin Fields looks absolutely washed out there. The Bears' defense is carrying them. And for Chicago, as smart as Matt Nagy is, he just doesn't seem like he's the right fit for Chicago anymore, right? I mean, it just feels like he needs to get out of there. It feels like he's not working. It feels like the league has caught up to his stuff. And the Packers, I mean, Aaron Rodgers told Chicago he owns them, and he does. Uh, Green Bay, again, they won by 10. And even though it felt dominating, it didn't feel dominating at the same time because this game was, you know, close. It was down to the wire. It was 21-14 at one point. Uh, and Chicago definitely had a chance to win this game, but they just ultimately couldn't do it because Aaron Rodgers is the Bears' killer. And the good news for Green Bay is, unlike the Browns with Baker Mayfield, Aaron Rodgers has a bad game. The Packers are able to recover and win the football game. Alright, next game here, we got the Vikings and the Panthers. Minnesota obviously winning the game 34-28 in overtime. Uh, if you blinked like I did uh, when this game was 28-13, you thought Minnesota had it in the bag because they came out of the second half and Delvin Cook looked great and Justin Jefferson looked great and Adam Thielen looked great and Sam Darnold looked horrible. Then all of a sudden you look up and Sam Darnold leads, you know, a 96-yard drive to get the touchdown and the two-point conversion with two key fourth-down conversions on the drive. Then Carolina obviously gets at the TD in overtime. But if you're Carolina, you are very confused, right? Because you started 3-0, and yes, you did beat the Saints, but your other two wins were against the Jets and the Texans, and that Saints game was against a team that had most of their coaches out due to COVID. Then you lose to Dallas. You lose to Philly. Now you lose this game in Minnesota. So at this point, you are 1-3 in the NFC. You're 2-0 in the AFC. That's great. But when it comes to conference standings and when it comes to getting a potential wild card, you are 1-3. You are 3-3 three three in the year. If you're starting 3-0, you're 2-2. Two two. 
at home, which isn't great considering the opponents you played were Philly and Minnesota. You would have liked to, you know, considering the losses you had at home were back-to-back -back here, Philly and Minnesota, you would have liked to win both of those games. And Sam Darnold, going into the fourth quarter, had less than 100 yards. He had 96 yards passing. And again, I said it at the start of the year. Everybody was saying how rejuvenized Sam Darnold looked, and I just didn't see it. I thought he struggled against Houston week three. I thought he struggled against the Jets week one. I thought he really struggled against the Eagles week five. And I thought he played terrible to the last drive of the game. And again, you know, Carolina's trying to overcome Christian McCaffrey. But a lot like the Browns, you know, when your offense is slowly based on a running back, you're not going to be able to win a lot of games if your quarterback is not special. I think Carolina needs to upgrade their personnel. I think DJ Moore is a two. I don't think he's a one. I think Robbie Anderson is a four. I don't think he's necessarily a two or a three. I like Terrence Marshall at receiver. I do think they need to get more dynamic there. Maybe put him at number two. But the Vikings, they got two number ones, man. They got Justin Jefferson, they got Adam Thielen, they got a number one running back in Dalvin Cook, and if Kirk Cousins plays like he did yesterday, the Vikings are going to win games. That was not Kirk Cousins' fault. As I said yesterday, the Vikings defense always plays well at home. They play bad on the road. That was another classic Mike Zimmer game where Mike Zimmer gives a point to the end and a game the Vikings add in the back. But congratulations to Minnesota for getting the W. Alright, so we get to the first of the 4 o'clock games, and this is the Browns game. Obviously, the Browns getting trampled 37-14. to 14. Um, I don't want to hear injuries. I'm just going to be very frank with you. I do not. I absolutely do not want to hear injuries from Browns fans. Every single team in the league has injuries. I don't care if the Browns are missing their two tackles. I don't care if the Browns are missing Jarvis Landry. I don't care if the Browns were missing Nick Chubb. The game plan was terrible, going empty set with Baker Mayfield when he is a run-first quarterback. Kevin Stefanski tried to out-trick the room, and quite frankly, Arizona didn't have their coaches due to COVID, and they out-coached the Browns. That's what it came down to, folks. And, you know, DeAndre Hopkins didn't have a big game, but he got two key catches for touchdowns. One of them was obviously wide open. And the Browns, they're just lost. They don't communicate on the back end. John Johnson, you know, the safety, and Troy Hill, both guys from the Rams that came over, they don't communicate. I thought Denzel Ward did a pretty good job on DeAndre Hopkins. But besides that, I mean, Arizona's defensive line, even without Chandler Jones, won that game. Baker Mayfield was hit constantly by J.J. Wide, who had his best game in an Arizona uniform by far. Isaiah Simmons chasing down Anthony Schwartz on that reverse. That was great speed by Isaiah Simmons. And Arizona with Vance Joseph, who, by the way, is a former head coach, uh, they believe in themselves. And that's big. And Kyler Murray believes he's just special, and he believes in this offense. And Arizona's got great receivers. And they're a really good football team. They're the best team in football right now, and they played like it yesterday. The Browns played like a playoff contender, not a Super Bowl contender. At this point, I don't think their depth is as good as we thought. Their offensive line got handed to them. Uh, and without Nick Chubb, this team has no identity. And I don't understand it. The Browns play a lot like the Vikings. The difference is Minnesota has a back just like Dalvin Cook and, and Alexander Madison. 
The Browns don't have a back just like Nick Chubb. Kareem Hunt is a different runner than Nick Chubb. And so when Nick Chubb goes out, there's no rotation. They're not using Dearness Johnson. They're not using Demetric Foden at running back, which I don't understand. Why is this offense so based off play action? Why is Baker Mayfield playing with an injured shoulder and then complaining about it? I mean, if it wasn't for the Hail Mary at the end of the first half, which was, by the way, stupid on Arizona's part, and I know all the Browns fans were cheering, but that game felt over when it was 14-0 Arizona. Browns had a chance to come out in the second half. Baker Mayfield fumbles the ball, obviously hurts his shoulder again, but there's no reason for the Browns fans to cry, to make excuses. Like, just admit it. I realize it's been 20 years since the Browns had a good winning football team. But now that you have a winning football team, Browns fans can't seem to take losing well. They've took losing well for 20 years. Now that you have a winning team, you should know how to take losing well. These are games the Browns have to win. And again, in games this year where the Browns are at a disadvantage at quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Browns are 0-3. The quarterbacks they have beaten, Justin Fields, Davis Mills slash Tyrod Taylor, which, by the way, if Tyrod Taylor continues playing that game, I don't even know if the Browns win that game. And Kirk Cousins was their best win. And my theory is the only reason why the Browns could sell the Vikings is because Kevin Stefanski knew that whole team because he was on the staff for 14 years. Minnesota obviously knew Stefanski too. The Browns' offensive line that day was just a little bit better than Minnesota's. I thought Odell Beckham, obviously going out, yes. I thought he played an okay game. But when Odell goes out, use Schwartz. Use Donovan Peoples-Jones. Use Richard Higgins. That's why you kept them. You talked about this depth at receiver. We all did in preseason. The Browns cut a lot of good players, such as Kadero Hodge in preseason because of the depth at wide receiver. And then when you need depth because Jarvis and Odell are out, you don't have it, right? We thought we had depth at running back, obviously, with Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Demetric Fountain, Dearness Johnson, John Kelly. There's no depth. Depth. Nick Chubb's the whole team. I've never seen anything like it. And this secondary, we talked about it right at the beginning of the year, how it was going to take time for the Browns' defense to gel. They're just not communicating, and they're getting lost, and they're always hurt. And that's my concern for the Browns. They flat out got beat. I don't want to hear any crying from any Browns fans. They flat out got beat. Take your medicine, move on, burn the tape, and you got to go beat the Denver Broncos. Because if you don't beat the Denver Broncos, you don't even deserve to make the playoffs. That was an ugly and embarrassing loss. Kevin Stefanski got out coached. The Browns got outplayed, and Arizona was the better team. That's it, bottom line. Vegas beat Denver. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this game because it was a garbage time comeback by the Broncos. Vegas looked great like I thought they would. Now, I didn't pick them in my best bets. By the way, Arizona was my last best bet. So I nailed Jacksonville. I nailed the Rams. I nailed Kansas City. I nailed Baltimore. And I nailed Arizona. Even before their coaching issues, I said take Arizona plus three. I never understood the line. They, they were the better football team. 
The only reason why this line was what it was because we weren't sure what John Gruden, you know, how Vegas would come out. Would they come out flat for Rich Versace or would they play well? I thought it would be the latter. It was the latter. Vegas is a better team than Denver. Again, Denver beat Jacksonville, the Giants, and the Jets. Not impressed. Teddy Bridgewater is a backup in the National Football League. He is not a starter. I don't care what you say. He has limited arm strength. You can win with him one way. A lot like Baker Mayfield. Running the football. Play action. Good defense. Vegas used Waller. They used Ruggs. They used Renfro. They got a Bridgewater. They forced a fumble. They intercepted him. Solomon Thomas with a great punch out. Carl Nassib had a great game. Max Crosby. That's what Vegas can do. And again, I'm not sure how this season's going to play out. I think Vegas does have some limitations. A very interesting game with my Eagles next week. They're definitely better than Denver. Now, Dallas and New England. Dallas is the most mind-boggling team I've watched this year. Why? Because they overcome the stupidity of their coach. Mike McCarthy does not know how to manage a clock Obviously, I thought when they kicked the field goal to go to overtime, they lost too much time for New England. Trayvon Diggs is great. I understand it. Dak Prescott is great. But he had to throw for, for over 450 yards. Dallas was not sharp. Dak Prescott saves the day. They're never sharp coaching. Mike McCarthy's clock management almost cost them again. We know Belichick's team is not dynamic. I thought Kendrick Bourne made an amazing play on that double move. I thought it was a good throw by Mac Jones. Obviously, I was rooting for New England to see if the Eagles could get one game, you know, not further behind of the Dallas Cowboys. At this point, the Cowboys are up three games in the NFC East and really four in the Eagles because they beat them head to head. So it's going to be a tough, you know, ask for Dallas. You know, they have a bye week next week and they have to talk about not coasting at this point because they are five and one and the next best team in their division is the Eagles in Washington at two and three. But I thought Dak Prescott was special, man. And for the first time in my life, I'm jealous of a Dallas Cowboys part of their team. I'm jealous of their offense. I'm jealous of their receivers. Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Cedric Wilson, Blake Jarwin, Dalton Schultz. Doesn't matter who you put in there. Their offensive line's been good this year. They're passing it. Dak, I mean, Dak, I mean, they don't even have to run the football. And they do so well with Zeke and Pollard. But New England secondary, J.C. Jackson has not played up to standards this year. Jaywin Mills looked lost yesterday. Obviously, C.D. Lamb cooks him on the touchdown. New England getting no real pressure on Prescott with Matthew Judon and all those people they signed. And they're trying to go to tight ends like it's 2010. It's not 2010 anymore, Bill. It's 2021. But let's face it, Dallas won the game. Great job by Dak to win it in a shootout. And finally... Seattle-Pittsburgh game, boy, was this game boring in the first half. Pittsburgh, obviously, coming back to win. Now, Pittsburgh's not as dynamic. They're 3-3 and on the year. I still don't love their wide receiver core. I don't love Claypool. I don't love Deontay Johnson. Especially don't love Juju Smith-Schuster being out for them. But they ran the football enough last night with Najee Harris. I felt like they should have blown out Seattle. I think in the second half, they thought the game was over. Seattle with Pete Carroll had a lot of fight because Geno Smith and Alex Collins and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and crew could not move the ball. Seattle doesn't get a pass rush at all. Their only defensive player is Bobby Wagner, so they're in trouble. I mean, what, what we saw last night was the whole team is Russell Wilson. Now, again, I think Pittsburgh's going to win eight, nine games. 
I don't know who their next opponent is off the top of my head. But, you know, I know they play the Browns in two weeks. It's going to be a very interesting matchup. And that will do it for the podcast. So on Thursday, again, we're, we are going to be talking WWE Crown Jewel. I will make my predictions for that. On Friday this week, we're going to be doing a Crown Jewel review. But, of course, also on Thursday, we're going to be making my Week 7 picks and best bets. Root for the Bills tonight so I can go 14-0 in picks. I have Buffalo winning against Tennessee. Though Derek Henry running the football against this Bills defense does make me nervous. I would not be surprised if Tennessee covers. Though at this point, I think Buffalo is the top dog in the AFC from what I saw last week against Kansas City. Josh Allen is special, folks. He's certainly a lot more special than Baker Mayfield. But with that, I'm going to leave it here. I'll see you guys on Thursday. Again, you guys know where to go on social media to follow the show. You guys already know where to go to check out the podcast. We'll see you guys on Thursday. And peace.